So, we are going to dive right in. We started a brand new series last week, and it's called Unleashed. And this series, Unleashed, is a 28-week extended teaching series on the book of Acts. Now, I told you last week uh, that the book of Acts was written by Luke. And if you remember, Luke is the same guy who wrote the gospel that bears his name, the gospel of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. Gospel is a Greek word. Uh, it's, it's based on a, it's a translation of a Greek word that means good news. And so the good news about Jesus, the biography of Jesus written by Luke, is the gospel of Luke. And then Luke wrote a second volume, a companion volume, about the history of the church, the first century church, called the book of Acts, and sometimes known as the Acts of the Apostles. I've heard it said, no, it's really more the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And that's a great way to, to talk about, uh, to transition to what we're going to talk about tonight, which is the Spirit of God unleashed on the day of Pentecost. We're going to talk about what all that means in just a second. So we started this series last week all about the book of Acts, 28 weeks. We're going to motor right through one chapter a week. We're going to, it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose, uh, but it's going to be a, a great study. I, I, I love it. I love being in the book of Acts. Like I told you last week, the, the New Testament church is our model for how we do church here in the 21st century, the, so that we want to model ourselves on the principles of the first century church as we, do the, uh, as we do church here in the 21st century. If you have a Bible near you, open your Bible to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead uh, and, and tell you what, grab your app. Go to the GFCC app. Uh, it is uh, available in your app store by searching for GFCC. So you can go to the iTunes store, or the Google Play store, search for GFCC, and you'll get the GFCC app. And you can take sermon notes. You can follow along with the sermon. You can uh, get announcements uh, as well as push notifications, and you can give your tithes and offerings. And I want to just digress for just one second and say thank you to everybody who's been donating uh, through the app or through online or been sending in uh, your offerings and stuff. You've kept us going through this time of quarantine. We really, really appreciate it. So tonight we are in Acts chapter 2, and this is the birth of church. It's the birthday of the church and how the church got started and when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. This is such a cool story, and it's so great. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verses 1 through 4. All right, Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So first, let's talk a little bit about the day of Pentecost. What is the day of Pentecost? Uh, this was uh, part of the feast of Pentecost. In uh, the Jewish faith, there are three major feasts uh, that the Jews would go to Jerusalem for. Uh, there was Passover, there was the Feast of Pentecost, and there was the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. Uh, Passover was the, the feast where they commemorated the death angel passing over their homes uh, when they escaped from Egypt and went through the Red Sea and went into the Promised Land 40 years later. Uh, but that Passover feast uh, was the first and the most important feast. But the Feast of Pentecost, uh, Pente, P-E-N-T-E, uh, Pentecost, it takes place 50 days after 
the Feast of Passover. So about seven weeks after Passover, they go back to Jerusalem. They have this harvest feast. Uh, and Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, they think uh, one of two things happened. Either it was the Sabbath day of that feast week, or it was 50 days after the Sabbath of Passover. Uh, scholars are kind of um, uh, divided on what exactly day, the day was of the day of Pentecost. But it was 50 days after Passover. And so the Feast of Pentecost is going on. There's Jews in Jerusalem from all over the world. Uh, I counted like 13 different areas and regions and countries uh, in Acts chapter 2 where it says that they were from. And, and so you've got the, the believers in Jesus who are in this room together. There's about 120 of them. There's 12 apostles. Remember they, last week we talked about the bridge between the book of Acts, uh, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts when they picked Matthias to be the uh, replacement for Judas. Um, they, cast, they cast lots for, for that and the lot fell to Matthias and so he became the, the newest apostle. So there's 12 apostles and about 120 people all together, and they're in this room, and all of a sudden, the sound like a, a rushing wind. If you all remember, uh, back about 10 years ago, there was a tornado that came through Griffith, and I'll never forget the sound of that wind and how loud it was. That was kind of like this. Now, here's a kind of a cool play on words. The, the New Testament was written in ancient Greek, and the ancient Greek words for Holy Spirit are these. It's hagias. Uh, pneumatos, hagias pneumatos, and it literally means a holy wind or a holy breath. That's what the word is for spirit. Spirit is wind or breath, the pneumatos. You'll see in there the, the word uh, pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, uh, kind of like the word pneumonia. It, it's a lung condition or pneumatic. When we talk about a pneumatic drill, it's air-powered. So the Holy Spirit is the holy wind, the holy breath of God, the Holy Spirit of God. And it comes like a rushing wind into this place where the uh, disciples and the followers of Jesus were. And little tongues of fire started dancing above their heads. I, this had to have been, it, it's got to be on the, the movie Plex in Heaven. It's got to be on the cinema. It's like, you know, playing this Friday, Day of Pentecost. Can't wait to see it. What do the little tongues of fire look like? I mean, are we talking like little tongues of fire? Are we talking like Gene Simmons from Kiss? Like, ah, you know, kind of uh, tongue of fire? I don't know, but I don't know. It had to be pretty cool. Anyway, so uh, the, the, they head out. They go out of this room filled with the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire. Uh, you know, everything is rocking and rolling. Uh, and uh, they start speaking to people, and they're talking in everybody else's languages. Now, this is not an ecstatic uh, heavenly language. These are like, like languages, like if I were to get up and start uh, speaking Portuguese, though I've never studied Portuguese, and, and I couldn't tell you a single word in Portuguese, but you would be, if you were Portuguese or you were Brazilian, you'd understand what I was saying to you. The Holy Spirit was interpreting the words of the apostles as they started preaching about Jesus. And, and, but there were some people who were like, what in the world is going on here? How can these uneducated Galileans be speaking to us in our own language? But others said, no, it's, no this, they're drunk. And then Peter gets up and says, how can we be drunk? It's nine o'clock in the morning. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Nobody's drunk. So in other words, they didn't wake up and have mimosas or Bloody Marys. They didn't have any wine. No, they were filled with God's Holy Spirit. And then Peter begins to preach this 
powerful sermon. It's a short sermon, too. It's really, really short, but it has incredible results. And, and so he has this powerful sermon, and he begins by telling them uh, about the day that Joel, the prophet Joel, had prophesied about hundreds of years before the day of Pentecost. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 17. He says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And he is uh, quoting from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, about the great and dreadful day of the Lord when uh, the power of God would be revealed. And it comes in, in there in Acts 2.17. Uh, Peter realizes that the things that are going on in Jerusalem were prophesied about hundreds of years before. And that God was pouring out his spirit on all people. And, pour, and it started there on the day of Pentecost in this room in Jerusalem. And so they're speaking in tongues. They're speaking in other people's languages. And, and Peter begins to preach this powerful, amazing sermon. And he, and he quotes David from the Psalms about who Jesus is, that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. And so he's giving all these proofs for Jesus as the Messiah, that Jesus was the Son of God, uh, that David pointed to him. Um, and then uh, he, lay, he lowers the boom. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, he just points his finger right at his, at his fellow Jews there in Jerusalem. And he says this in, uh, in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus... Whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. He points his fingers right at him and says, you killed him. He gives all the proofs. It says, Jesus of Nazareth was appointed by God to be the Messiah. And David talked about him. And, and, and the, the Old Testament pointed to him. And he was uh, uh, attested to you by signs and wonders. He did all these amazing things. And you killed him. You killed the Messiah to, that you were looking for. And then in verse 37. It says the people were cut to the heart. Look at verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers. What shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart, it said. Like I said, the New Testament was written in ancient Greek, and the ancient Greek word for cut to the heart is katanusomai. It's katanusomai. And it means a piercing or a stinging pain. A piercing or stinging pain. In the heart, they were cut to the heart. They felt terrible for what they had done. It is a, a word that means to have remorse. It's a word that means to, to feel guilty. And then when Peter told them, you killed the Messiah, but God raised him from the dead, they said, what should we do? They were cut to the heart. What should we do? Peter replied in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, I'll tell you what to do. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he tells them this promise for, for them and their children and for those who are far off whom the Lord, their, the Lord our God will call. He says, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And like I've said, the New Testament was written in ancient Greek. I want to teach you two more Greek words. Uh, the first is the word for repentance, and it's the word metanaeo. Metanaeo, it's kind of fun to say. It's hard to do, but it's fun to say. Metanaeo means a turning from sin to God. It's a repentance. It's turning away from sin, turning away from a sinful life, and turning to God for forgiveness. It's a change of mind and a change of heart before it becomes a change of behavior. It's a change of mind that says, I don't want to live for sin anymore. I want to live for Jesus. I don't want to live for sin anymore. I want to live for God. I need to turn away from my life of sin and turn to God for forgiveness. And then he says, repent and be baptized. And the ancient Greek word for baptize is baptizo. It means to baptize, to wash, to dip, to plunge, to immerse. That's what the word means. It means to be baptized, to go under the water, to be immersed in water. That's what baptism is. Now, um, when you, whenever you read in the book, in the New Testament, and, and whenever somebody's baptized, you, you know they went down into the water and they were immersed in the water. In Romans chapter 6, it talks about how baptism is a burial, that we are buried with Christ uh, into his death, his burial, and his resurrection. When Jesus was baptized, he went down into the water. On the day of Pentecost, we're going to see how many people got baptized in a single day. It's ridiculous. But some people, you know, they, they don't uh, have a complete understanding of baptism. But it, it, um, the, the word means to dip, to plunge, or to immerse. It means to a word that means to wash. I, I like what um, Martin Luther, uh, the, the guy uh, for whom the Lutheran church is named. Martin Luther said this uh, in the 15th century in his book, Captivity. He said, I would have those who are to be baptized completely immersed in water. As the word says, and as the mystery indicates, that those who are to be baptized should be baptized by immersion. And, and if you've never made that decision for yourself, if you've never made the decision to be baptized, you need to think about it. You need to make that decision for yourself, to make that choice for yourself, to be baptized by immersion. That's what the word means. And that's the pattern that we follow from the New Testament, from the book of Acts. And some people may say, well, well, when Peter said, you know, for the forgiveness of your sins, did he mean that, you know, it's because your sins are forgiven, then you should be baptized? It's very interesting. It's a great question. And I've had that question asked me before. In the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 28, it says this. Jesus, this is Jesus on the night that before he's crucified, instituting the Lord's Supper. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So it's the same construction, and the exact same construction in the Greek language, for the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus was pouring out his blood. He was shedding his blood. He was going to be crucified so that our sins could be forgiven. Our sins weren't forgiven, and then Jesus died. Jesus died, and then our sins were forgiven. Same thing goes for baptism. We are baptized, and our sins are forgiven. We're not baptized because our sins are already forgiven. Don't get me wrong. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But we express that faith in Jesus by believing in him, repenting from sin, as Peter said to do, confessing our faith, as it says in Romans 10, 
and by being baptized. And if you have questions about baptism, I want you to reach out to me. Uh, email me at the office, office at gfcc.net, and, and shoot me an email and say, well, I, I'm kind of confused with this baptism thing, or I've got some questions about baptism. Let's sit down and let's talk about them, socially distanced, six feet apart. But let's get, let's get together and talk about your questions about baptism, because I think it's so vitally important that we get baptized. Um, one of the things uh, that we read about in the book of Acts is that um, here in chapter 2 is that they were cut to the heart, they were told what they needed to do, and then they responded. In verse 41 it says this, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 believers in one day, my arms would fall off. If I had to baptize even a thousand people, or a hundred, or five hundred people, or a hundred people, my arms would—I have not done enough push-ups to baptize that many people. I would give it my best shot. You better believe it, though. But they baptized three thousand people in one day. That's awesome. Well, in the next passage, verses forty-two through forty-seven. Uh, Luke gives us kind of a summary statement of what the early church was like and the things that the early church did. And so he kind of summarizes some of these things. And, and this is the four devotions of a New Testament church. He says that the, the New Testament church was devoted to four things. And the first thing was they were devoted to the apostles' teaching or the Word of God. They were devoted to the Word of God. And if we're going to be a first century church, if we're going to be a New Testament church, we've got to be devoted to God's Word. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the teaching of God's word. And we must be the same. We must do the same. We must be devoted to the word of God. Second devotion of a New Testament church is the fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. Now, fellowship is more than just a potluck. It's more than just a getting together and having a meal together. It's more than just going to church. Uh, fellowship is more than just hanging out. Fellowship is sharing our lives. The Greek word there is koinonia, and it's a word that means to share. It means to have everything in common. In fact, that's what Luke says, that they had everything in common. Nobody claimed anything as their own, that they shared everything they have. And that's what true fellowship is about. When we share our lives with one another, we share everything we have with one another. The third thing they were devoted to was the breaking of bread. And the breaking of bread is a euphemism for the Lord's Supper, or a euphemism for communion found throughout the book of Acts. They were devoted to communion. They were devoted to the Lord's Supper. Why? Because Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the foundation of our faith. And what he did on the cross, and when he walked out of the tomb, that right there is the bedrock of our faith, that the truth of our faith, the truth of everything we hold dear. And so we have to be devoted to the word of God, to fellowship, to true fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and finally to prayer. The fourth devotion of a New Testament church is prayer. That if we're going to be a church that experiences first century power and first century results, we've got to be a church of prayer. Uh, if we are not uh, praying, we will not have Holy Spirit power. We have to be people of prayer. We have to be a church of prayer. And then Luke summarizes the, the second chapter of Acts with these words in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
says they enjoyed the favor of God and all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That, could you imagine every single day people coming and knocking on the what do I got to do, man? I keep hearing about this Jesus guy. What do I got to do? I want to spend forever with him. What have I got? What, what's going on? How, how can I become a Christian? How can I start following Jesus? Every day, somebody was coming and being saved, and the church was exploding with growth. It was just powerful. So what about you? What do you need to do? What is your next step of faith? And that may be the first step. The first step may be that you need to take the plunge by being baptized. You need to take the plunge and get baptized. Maybe you haven't done that yet. You haven't been baptized yet. Or maybe you were sprinkled as a baby or you were sprinkled as a little kid. And you're like, do I need to get baptized? I think, I think you should. Because you need to make that decision for yourself. That you say, I choose to be baptized. I choose to follow Jesus. I choose to be immersed into his death, burial, and resurrection. And I want to encourage you, if, if you haven't made that decision yet, if you haven't made that choice yet for yourself, connect with us. Fill out that online connection card at gfcc.net slash connect. Fill out that online connection card and indicate on there that you would like to talk about baptism. And you can do that. Go to gfcc.net slash connect and, and, and check off uh, on the form there that you would like to talk to somebody about baptism. We'll get together, socially distanced. We'll get together and we will talk about your decision to be baptized. If you have been baptized, uh, your step, your, the step of faith that you need to take is you need to connect with the church in worship and in a group. You need to connect with the church in worship and in a group. And I know this has been really hard uh, for the last uh, eight, nine, ten weeks because we've been so apart and everything. But as we're getting back together, I want you to start thinking about, okay, maybe I need to make church a bigger part of my life. Maybe I need to make going to church a, a bigger commitment in my life. That I, Instead of going once a month or, or twice a year, uh, I need to go every week or I need to go every other week at least. I need to start being more faithful in my church worship attendance. And it's not so that we can have better numbers. That has nothing to do with it. It has to do with your connection to God and your connection to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you do that when you get together, when we encourage one another on a weekend, or when you're in a group with one another, or when you do life together and you share your lives with one another. That's what we need to do, is we need to connect with the church and worship and in a group, when you may say, well, I can be a Christian without going to church. You can be a believer in Jesus without going to church, but you cannot be a growing Christian without being part of a church family, without being an active part of a church family. And the ways that we are active here at GFCC is through our worship uh, services and through our groups. And so I want to encourage you, coming out of this quarantine, commit yourself to regular worship attendance and to being in a group. And finally, the last step, the next step you may need to take is to follow the leadership of God's Holy Spirit in your life. That the Holy Spirit, if you have been baptized, uh, then the, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, lives within you. Are you listening to the Spirit? Are you following the Spirit? Are you obeying the Spirit of God? God sent His Spirit into your life and give, has given you gifts to use for His kingdom. He has given you gifts peace in the midst of the storm. He is giving you calm and comfort uh, when you've been uh, brokenhearted. He has given you leadership and guidance through the Holy Spirit. He is 
going to change your life through the Spirit. He is helping you do away with sin through the Spirit. Are you following the leadership of God's Holy Spirit in your life? Or are you resisting the Spirit? Are you resisting the power of the Spirit? Are you rebelling against the Spirit? Maybe the Spirit's speaking to you right now saying, you know that thing you've been doing? You know those plans that you've been making? You know all that stuff that you've been doing? You know you're not supposed to be doing that. You know that that's not God's plan for your life. You know that that's not what God wants you to be doing. And yet you're saying, I'm going to do it anyway. The Holy Spirit is going to smack you upside the head and say, stop it, knock it off, cut it out, and get back on the right track. Are you following the Holy Spirit in your life, or are you rebelling against God's leadership and God's Holy Spirit? And if you're disobeying the Holy Spirit, if you are disobeying God's word, if you are not following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you better start. Because in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk uh, and, and, and later on in the book of Acts with some people who lied to the Holy Spirit. You're going to see what happened to them. Not saying it's going to happen to you, but it's not pretty. Follow the leadership of God's Holy Spirit in your life. It all boils down to this. If we want to experience first century results, we need first century power that comes from God's eternal spirit. If we want to experience first century results in our church, we need that first century power that comes from God's eternal spirit. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to pray for God's spirit to be unleashed in our church, for God's spirit to be unleashed in our lives. For God's spirit to be unleashed in our homes. To be, have God's spirit unleashed in our workplaces. That the Holy Spirit would fill us to the brim and overflow out of us. That the power of God would overflow out of us into those around us. So that the we might be transformed and we might be changed. And that our lives will be transformed and changed. Our communities will be transformed and changed. Our church will be transformed and changed all by the power of God's unleashed Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just grab a hold of us, that you would unleash the power of the Holy Spirit in our church, unleash the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Unleash the power of the Holy Spirit in our workplaces, in our schools, in our communities, in our towns, in our state, in our government, in our world. That God, the Holy Spirit would grab a hold of your people. And that the power would be unleashed from our church. And that we would see those first century results from that first century power that comes from your eternal spirit. That we would see those kinds of results where people are just coming out of the woodwork, looking uh, for salvation, seeking after God, seeking after Jesus, asking the question, what should we do? I pray for my friends who are making a decision right now about whether or not to fill out that card or whether or not to indicate that they want to get baptized and whether they want to get baptized or not. That God, I pray that you would give them that nudge, that push, that holy prompting to do exactly what it is you want us to do. Thank you for the gift of grace that comes through your son Jesus. So beautifully illustrated in the power of baptism. We love you, we thank you, we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.